This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. Today's program is a sensitive topic, so parental guidance is suggested. Human trafficking is a global issue, but especially relevant here in the United States as many victims end up right here, even in our own backyard. Did you know that Florida is a big destination for human traffickers? Joining me today on How We See It are Al and Susan Henson, founders of Compassionate Hope and Lighthouse Ministries. Welcome to the area. Good to be here, John. Thanks, John. So y'all are on the road, I understand. <laughs> we yes, are. Yes, we are. We're, uh, we've just finished a book called Breaking Invisible Chains, and we're out talking about that and ministering and meeting peoples and churches and groups and things like that. And Tampa is one of our most favorite places to come to. Well, uh, the weather's great. We're so glad you're down here. I want to get to that book in a moment, but you guys have been involved in the last few years with human trafficking. Now, here's a couple that has been married 50 years this year. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you, sir. What's the secret of that? (laughs) Jesus. Well, good one answer. Here you go. We need Jesus. That's right. I think that keeps the peace a little more. There is some truth in happy wife, happy life. That's right. But marriage is like a three-legged race. You've got to walk together. That's right. So how did you get involved with human trafficking and doing the ministry there? Al, I'll let you start. We've been involved in um, Southeast Asia and church planting, disciple making for... uh, 40-plus years, and one of my spiritual gifts is mercy. And all of those years, I was watching my heart was broken for children, especially those that are being sexually trafficked, human trafficking. And in Southeast Asia, in cities like Manila and Bangkok, they're some of the, the, the major cities in the world in which this is taking place. And as you mentioned earlier, we're also aware that some of those children are ending up here in the United States, and some of those are ending up in Tampa. Tampa is one of the top cities in America, one of the top four, I think, of the cities in America for this, this atrocity. And so 13 years ago, being led by the Lord, Susan and I made a decision before the Lord to step away from our other roles in the kingdom and to begin to focus on the children in Southeast Asia, and there was the birthing then of Compassionate Hope Foundation. Now, before this... You were a pastor of a church in Tennessee. Yes, uh, actually, South Nashville, an area called Antioch, just like the Bible, Antioch, sure. where they were first called Christians. And so we founded a church there and a Christian school and a large camp for children through the years and planted churches there. But I began to go as a lead pastor to Southeast Asia in the early 80s, because the first refugees that God brought to Antioch were the boat people. So I began to go over to Southeast Asia because we heard stories of their persecution. And I wanted to go in into a communist country there, and I'd go underneath the radar and begin to try to find ways to shepherd and care and serve and help our hurting brothers and sisters that were being persecuted in that country. Did they not allow religion at all over in that part of the world? Well, to be able to cooperate with other nations, they had a, quote, religious freedom was legal, but that wasn't being practiced at all in this country. Mm -hmm. When did you go, Susan? I went a few years later because I was a stay-at-home mom taking care of three little ones. Okay. But I think it was walking into seeing the darkness of the culture 
And as we were walking among these people, we were also seeing where the light of the gospel had not gone, how dark the darkness was. And we were seeing how dark the depravity of man was. And that we also saw the results of that darkness, the effects that it was having upon the children. And that's when we said, we've got to do something to help the children. So we began to open up homes of hope for these children. And so we now have 57 homes of hope in three different countries, as well as in several different locations. And these homes are there as we take them in as our own children. And we make a promise to the children that if they will work hard and they really want to, we'll take them not only just through high school, but all the way through college, university, or a Votech, or even a Bible college if they want to go on. But these are children that every, we have over 850 children in our in our 57 Homes of Hope. Wow. And every single beautiful face we have has a, has a story behind it. And that is our heart, is to be able to reach down into the hearts of these children and give them a hope and a future they would have never had. What countries are you in? We're in the Philippines and Thailand and our undisclosed country. Okay, so there is one mystery country. That yes. For, for your protection, we can't really say. Yeah, and for their protection also. Yeah. I can imagine, as you were describing, walking through the villages and through the streets, it's like the government wants you to see certain things, but the people know the secrets, and mm-hmm. so you can see the the eyes tell the story <laughs> versus what you kind of see in the surroundings. I mean, you see poverty, but you can see the cry for help through someone's eyes. I'm sure that was yeah, the, probably a scary thing and a, and a frightening thing for you guys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, but in America, this is hidden a lot. But in these countries, especially in Thailand and in the Philippines, it's out in your face. It's not hidden at all. And you know, I can take you in a red light district in Bangkok on a 15-minute walk, and you would probably pass with five-story buildings and six-story buildings. You might pass 10,000 ladies, men, women, children up somewhere in those buildings out on the streets, very visible, can be seen, that are being trafficked humanly, sexually, uh, in the in these cities. So it's really out, out there in front of you. It's not hidden. When walking those streets in the cities you mentioned, do you see a lot of foreigners? Yes. Everyone knows that the America is the where the demand really lies. Mm-hmm. We're the top nation in the world. Like in the Philippines, for example, we're focused exclusively on what we call the OSEC children, online sexually exploited children. And the number one uh, demand comes from America. Uh, Canada is number two, Australia is three, and some of the English-speaking peoples among the, uh, the Arab countries are number four. You mentioned 850-plus. So, so you are making a difference, but there's thousands and thousands. Tens of thousands. Yeah, yes. more that need help. Well, I think one of the things that I saw in the Philippines was just the poverty level. I, I don't think we, I realized at all the effect of poverty until I went to the Philippines. Philippines is actually worse than Bangkok, mm-hmm. but there's just thousands of children begging on the street. And so the, I think the poverty level was one of the first things. But then when 
God opened the door for us to open up Homes of Hope, and we're the only licensed uh, facility in all the Philippines to be able to take in sibling groups. And so we're that aftercare of that everyday life. And I think for us, we didn't realize how bad OSEC really was. And it is ravaging thousands and thousands of children every single day. And the pandemic only escalated into a tsunami. And it is a horrific epidemic that is taking place. And it's a silent epidemic. No one's talking about it, how bad it is. But the U.S. is 17 times worse demanding this abuse than any other country. And Philippines is the number one country for this. And when the pandemic hit, uh, these children were literally locked in their homes with their perpetrators because 70% of the children that are being trafficked online and doing these horrible shows with whoever was in the home with whatever age, whether mm-hmm. it's young or old, you know, 70% of these children are being trafficked by their only their very own family members. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. It, it's got to be, you would think, a devastating decision that a, a mother would have to say, I'm selling my child. Mm-hmm. That and happens uh, every day. Yeah, I was shocked Multiple. to read that. Yeah, 70% of all of the children that are being perpetrated is by a relative, and 70% of the children, and specifically we're talking about OSEC, Online Sexually Exploited Children, 70% of those are 12 years and under. The youngest we've rescued is 25 days old. It's unimaginable. And, you know, when you asked uh, Susan that question, I knew, because I'd been there, I knew how how evil and dark this was. But the more we stepped into it, you're, you're, you're listening to a brother that has seen 20 of his Timothys that have been martyred. And I've seen death, but I've never seen anything that is as painful and as evil as what's, being, what's happening to these precious children uh, that God has created. Yeah. And, you know, Susan mentioned poverty, but lack of education. Uh, in the Philippines specifically, why it is the number one nation. By the way, the number two nation is Mexico for the OSEC. The Philippines is 16 times larger than Mexico. And the reason for that is that they speak English. Uh, and so uh, their poverty and then a cultural issue that comes into this is not only the poverty and the lack of education and that they speak English, but in the Asian culture, a child is born. A very important point, the child is born to be a blessing to its family and to its village. And so this is not seen as so horrible because this child is helping to make a way to feed the children. And you have to really think that through. Uh, we know mothers who, who are willing to give their children up because they can't feed them and take care of them. So there's a lot of external pressure. I'm not, I'm not trying to make the evil any less evil. Sure. But I, I do try to have some compassion and understanding even upon those that are pushing their children into this. So when you guys and your team go to Bangkok or, or any of these other uh, locations, and we know that that building has 200 people that are probably being trafficked, you, you can't just walk in and say, we're here to rescue you. It doesn't work that way. Oh, absolutely not. If, if you put a, took a camera out, it'd be taken away from you immediately. By the government or by the locals that, that are trafficking the, the, the 
here uh, the answer to that is you have you have the mafia and the government agencies the police or the military that are supposed to be protecting the children that are actually involved secretly and privately it's not too secret but privately into the shadows behind all of this mm. well i think too when we're working with these children the beauty of this is that we get to see we do see the pain of that and we see the trauma and the real heroes that we have on our team are the house parents because they're working every day with these children so they are the heroes because they are dealing with the trauma when these children are coming in they're right. dealing with um the bedwetting and um the the nightmares and all these things when they first come in but we're also seeing when god's love steps into their lives and they pour in life and love and there's a place of security they have food and they have education, things that they never had before. When all this begins to pour in, then their heart begins to open up to hear that there is a God who loves them, a heavenly Father who will not abuse them, a heavenly Father who will love them and not leave them or forsake them. So when you see that take place, their hearts open up for the power of the gospel to come into their lives and transform them and you get to see the beauty of what happens when they feel this love and they are set free from the bondages and the pain and the shame and all the, the chains that have been have had them bound. And then they're set free. And that's what we get to do. And yeah. even in the book of telling the stories, yes, we are telling the trauma and the pain and the suffering but God, made, the word redeem means to buy back that which was lost or forsaken or that which was caused by our sin or by the sin of others. And so we get to see God buy back all that pain and suffering and turn it for good. And when he turns it for good, then we get to see the beauty and we get to be able to look to God and say, wow, God, look what you did. Mm -hmm. Because a few months before that, we would have seen God, how are you ever going to change this child's life? How are you ever going to touch and heal this child's life? So I think for us, the whole joy will be the beauty of the transformation of hearts and lives to see what happens on the other side. Talking with Al and Susan Henson, founders of Compassionate Hope, making change across the globe, one person at a time, rescuing them from human trafficking. As I've grown older in the Lord and more and more I've come to understand the powers, listening to Susan, the power of love. That is God's kind of love, true love, and the power. And there's a verse in 1 John 4.16 that even the Apostle John says, and as we knew, experienced the love of God, then we believed. And the power of love to open the hearts of people that where does this love come from? And to know the love of God, which is provided for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then uh, salvation. So the point I wanted to make, even to those that are listening, God loves you too. And we live in a very painful world, and there are probably many that are listening that have some wounds and pains and, and, and inner slavery in their own hearts. All of us at some level do. And I want to say to them this same message and the power of God's love and the power of the gospel that is redeeming these rescued children out of horrific situations, as Susan was talking about, that same love 
and saying the gospel is available, and you just need to find people who really walk with God and love God, and they can show you in that kind of love and help you to to find healing. Now, your son and his wife, I understand, are working over over in that part of the country. Uh, yes, our son Stephen, he is the founder and director of Compassionate Hope Philippines and his beautiful Filipino wife, Kathleen, and our two grandchildren, uh, Gabriel and Alina, who are eight and nine. I mentioned a moment ago, you can't just bust into a building and say, here, we're here to rescue you. It's like making a disciple. you got to make a friend, be a friend, bring that friend to Christ. How do you do that with a little child who you know is being trafficked? Do you... Most of, most of, John, most of our rescues are not being done by us. Most of these rescues that are taking place in these countries are being done by generally the police. That aren't being paid off by the mafia the, yeah, and so et, forth. Et cetera. Or churches that are in that community or that area are rescuing these children and have no place to send them. Or actually, we have villages, village chiefs and village leaders as our testimony has grown, that will communicate and say, we have a child here. Can we tell you their story? Would you be interested in taking them? And then your second question is, you know, when these children come, sometimes you look in their eyes, and it's as if their soul has been destroyed. Right. As if they're not even present with you. But again, that goes back to the power of love. God has given every human being the capacity to need love and to experience love. And so when that child comes in, often they'll come in, as Susan said, wetting the bed, crying. Uh, Sometimes they won't eat for a week maybe. You almost have to force them to eat something. Or suicide Um, watch. Yeah, suicide watch. All of It's unimaginable how they come. But as you give them love, they begin to feel safe. All of a sudden, all of this fear that's around their lives, they realize, am I finally safe? Am I in a place that I can can no longer be afraid, and, and in that safe place, that grace place, that place of love, they will begin to settle in, begin to have peace, and hope starts. The power of hope. You know, I, I believe love leads to hope, which leads to faith. And that faith then will touch the healing power of God in their lives. And so they, it's interesting to watch these young ones come in hopeless, and after a week or two or three, they begin to have hope, hope that they can be seen, hope that they can have a future, hope that they can be protected and be safe and not have a, uh, one of the videos we have of one of our stories, Ning. In that video, I've watched it dozens of times. Every time I watch it, I weep because there's a place when she's, it's happening, and she says, is this, is this going to happen over and over? Right. And she's just wailing. Is my life always going to be like this? And for these children, they begin to realize when they come into the homes, it's not going to be, it doesn't have to be this way anymore. You're not doing this by yourself, as you said. There's other churches and there's other foundations you're working with. One I noted in, in watching the video before this interview was the Tim Tebow Foundation. Um, can you talk about that and your involvement with them and, and how y'all partnered to really pull your resources? Well, Tim Tebow was born in the Philippines, as, I mean, uh, served in the Philippines with his mom and dad as missionaries. And so he fell in love with the Filipino children. So I think that's kind of a connection that we have there, too. But when he heard that we were what we were doing in the Philippines with working with OSEC trafficked children, 
they connected with us and then they began to ask us about a partnership and this just took place just last December a year ago mm-hmm. and then they asked well do you have any stories we had just signed the contract on our book with Higher Life and one of the last the very last story in the book is called Two-Faced Ellie and it's one of the little girls that we rescued in the Philippines that was trafficked from the age 9 to 14 mm-hmm. and she was trafficked by her aunt I'll tell the story in just a minute, but th- we gave them that story, and then they read that story, and that be- went viral. And then the video you're talking about is that when Jimmy read that story, the whole team, the Tebow Foundation team, fell in love with Ellie without even meeting her, but they fell in love with her, and then they wanted to go back and meet Ellie, and they videotaped Demi meeting Ellie. So this is the, if you would like for me to tell the story, I'd love to be able to uh, tell that story. Yeah, we've got a couple of minutes here. When you rescue the kids, do they stay in their home country or do you bring them here to the United States and there's the whole immigration issues? No, they all, they all stay in their countries. Okay. Uh, We, we have brought 15 or 16 here to go to high school. Okay. But we do, we can do that then on, on a student visa, the the Christian school that we founded in Antioch, Tennessee, called Lighthouse Christian School. We have the qualifications to offer student visas. So we have one or two or three that we have actually brought here. They live for three or four years in a family's home in Antioch, and they go to the school and go to church. And that way they learn English. We can develop them as leaders, develop them spiritually, and they're able to go back then and, and be a part of a, a, a future leadership for the Ministry sure. of Compassion Hope Foundation. Let's go back to Ellie's story. Tell me a little bit about her, and you've shared a little bit, but share a little of that story. Well, Ellie's story allows you to peek into a tiny window of what it's like for thousands of very broken children caught in the strangling dark web of OSEC. And, but you, through Ellie's story, you'll also see this courageous girl emerge and to rise up to be a voice for the voiceless. But Ellie, at age nine, she was sent to her aunt's house, and her aunt began to groom her unknowingly and woke her up at 2 o'clock in the morning one morning and said, Ellie, wake up. Uh, I have someone, uh, a friend of mine who wants to meet you. He wants you to do a show for him. And she's nine years old. She doesn't understand what's about to happen. But she's placed into another room with a camera on her, and she's told to do whatever that person on the other end of the camera to tell her to do and with whomever is in the home. And so she was sent back to bed and told her to go back to sleep. And she was just sick at her stomach. She couldn't believe what had happened. But from the age nine to 14, Ellie was trafficked, not only by her aunt, which she called her monster, but a few months after this started, she was also sent back home to her very own mother. And the first few days, everything was fine. And then she wakes up and her woken up in the middle of the night again by this time, her very mom and her mom begins to traffic her. So from the age of nine to 14, she was swapped back and forth to these homes and she was trafficked along with her two sisters and her three cousins. And that little 25 day old baby that you heard about that was rescued, that was Ellie's cousin. And so here these children were trafficked from the from the age 9 to 14 for Ellie. And so Ellie is eventually brought into the Homes of Hope. And there she is, is able to experience love for the very first time. 
But if you don't mind, I would like to read a poem that Ellie wrote. Sure. Because what Ellie, when I was writing her story, I was writing it from her healing journal. Okay. And I kept hearing the phrase, I'm like a two-faced robot with no soul. And I put on this dark mask at night, and I put on this I'm okay Ellie mask in the daytime to survive another day. And so you see her, she becomes, she says, I have no soul. And so she, the, her, she said, I put on this mask to cover my dark soul because I didn't even really want to live. And then she writes this, as she said, um, she wrote this poem. She said that ran through my mind and heart over and over every night. And the poem is called Rescue Me. Rescue me, help me, monsters are chasing, can't you see? Monsters are whispering, can't you hear? Monsters are shouting, you're nothing. Can't you feel my pain? Monsters are pushing, end it all, just jump. Can't you hear all the whys I'm asking? Monsters are laughing, ha, ha, ha. You're all alone in this darkness. Can someone please rescue me? And this was Ellie's prayer and cry before she came to the homes of hope in the Philippines. Mm. And there is God poured into her life there that as my daughter and son poured in love to her that one day, that glorious day, God came in and rescued her from her sin and her shame and her pain and brought healing into her life. And now she has risen up to be a voice for the voiceless and to share her story with others and then also to be a, uh, help the other children who are coming in to have enough hope to take off their mask. And this, what I love about this is that Demi Tebow became Ellie's voice mm. on those videos. And now Ellie's story is going across the world. Sure. And Al and I only have a small platform compared to the Tebows, and sure. God's story is going out about Ellie and how she's been rescued and how now her story is helping other children be rescued. Uh, we're almost out of time. We've got about a minute left. Where can people get the book? Uh, they can go to our website. It's compassionatehope.org forward slash breaking chains. Or they can also go to Amazon and uh, be able to get Breaking Invisible Chains by Dr. Al and Susan Henson on Amazon. And in a few weeks, we're going to have the, the audio book is going to be coming out. But they can also get the ebook on Amazon as well. But it's, yeah, Breaking Invisible Chains at CompassionateHope.org slash Breaking Chains, or they can go to Amazon. And if someone uh, listening who maybe is involved with the church here locally or wherever they might be listening, or an individual wants to get more involved with your group, Mm -hmm. how do they reach you? www.compassionatehope.org, www.compassionatehope.org, and just go on the website and send us a message, and we'll reach back to you. Okay. And we would love to be able to come and speak in any opportunity that they might have if they have small groups in uh, any way that we can we'd love to be able to come and share more of the stories well it's been a real blessing and a heartbreak frankly to hear some of these stories Uh, but i know that you're doing great work because god has put the right people in that position so thank Thank you you. for the work that you're doing susan and al henson uh, god bless you and your ministry thank you john joy to be here yes it was thanks for listening to today's program This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. 
If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.